0: May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth through the preaching of his word, which begins with prayer. Let us pray together. O loving Father, shine within our hearts the true light of your divine knowledge and open our eyes and our minds that we may comprehend the message of your word through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray, amen, amen. Please be seated. Way back in 2001, a movie came out, uh, premiered uh, back in 2001. It was an animation adventure comedy for children and adults called Monster Inc. Monster Inc, it was a comedy and it's humorous. Uh, It is uh, about some funny looking misfit cartoons. Now, here's where it gets a little rough. These monsters, these cartoons are demonic, demonic monsters who hide beneath beds and in closets so they can scare kids. Now here's the storyline. The storyline of this comedy, this movie, is that the the city is powered by the screams that these monsters can get from the kids. That's the comedy of the whole thing. So what what the monsters have to do these demonic creatures have to do is go around hiding and they scare the kids so they can scream. And from those screams, they generate electricity for the for the, for the city. It's kind of funny uh, in that sense. The interesting thing is that the monsters think that the kids are toxic to them. So they try to avoid actually interacting with the kids as much as possible other than to get them to scream. This is all done uh, in harmless comedy uh, for laughs and for fun, but on the most part, there are many people that, that you know, many people in our society that think that demonic spirits don't exist, don't really exist. There's something of, of uh, maybe wives tales or something that religion brings up, but they don't actually exist. They're harmless if they do exist. Now that's some people. There are other people that believe that there are spirits, even Christians, that they are spirits in this world. And some of those spirits are fallen or evil spirits. They're demonic spirits. But they really, even though they exist, they really don't have anything to do with us. Well, the Bible, in both the New and, and, and in the Old and the New Testament, make, makes it emphatically and undeniably clear that spirits do exist, they're real, and that of these spirits, the evil ones are referred to as demonic, demonic. Our passage this morning is about evil spirits, demonic spirits. Our passage this morning is a controversial, often misinterpreted text of Scripture where demonic spirits are interacting with humans. But through the grace of God, through God's intervention, He brings justice upon the world and destroys it, destroys the world, except for a few. And we know that to be Noah and his family, Noah and the seven others. So you're going to have to bear with me. You're going to have to stay with me because we're going to have theology today. We're going to have two views of this passage. And so stay with me because... It it can get a little difficult to understand, but it's not. It's it's very simple. In in reading it, it's very simple. And and, and actually, in reading it, it flows very smoothly. But as we turn to our passage, we we can see as we read our passage, as we study our passage, it's easy for us to see why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 would write this. This is what Paul writes about us and our struggles in this world. Paul says that we are battling, we are not battling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. If you ever wondered why things are so hard, why things can be so hard, it's so difficult. And even if you try to take care of your business the best you can, it's just so difficult. It seems like you're battling, a, uh, you're fighting a battle that you're never going to win. This is why. That's why. It goes beyond flesh and blood into the heavenly realm. Demonic forces in the heavenly realm. We know that this passage is, is about the destruction of the planet. Almost. The destruction of humanity, almost, except for a few. So knowing that, can you wonder, have you ever wondered, how bad does this world have to be, how bad does this world have to be for God to bring judgment upon it and end it with a flood? except for Noah doesn't completely wipe everybody out and his family. So as we look at our passage, we the, the critical issue that we're looking at is the wickedness of humanity resulting in being wiped out by God, by God himself in judgment. However, even in this condemnation that God brings, There is still mercy in God and he gives us grace. He gives us grace. Mercy and grace. So now, as we turn to our passage, uh, we can see that it's divided into basically two parts. The first part, and we're going to spend a little bit more time on the first part. The first part is the the depravity, the depravity of humanity. The second part is the benevolence of God, the benevolence of God. Now, as we, as we turn to, and we start with the depravity of humanity, the pr- depravity of humanity. Now, some people, some Christians, godly people, we refer to this as total depravity. And it is. It's truly total depravity. This total depravity is basically, basically sets the foundation for our passage today, that humanity is totally depraved, total depravity. Now, let's talk about that. Let's, let's identify and define what total depravity means. And when, as I'm going through this, I want you to reflect on your life and how you can even relate to some of this and how you can, you can see others relate to this and how you can see how bad this world can be. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about total depravity. The Bible teaches us that as a result of the fall, the result of the fall of humanity in in, uh, Genesis chapter 6, every part of humanity, every part of humanity, including a person's mind, a person's will, a person's emotions, a person's flesh, every part of a person, of a human, has been corrupted, corrupted by sin. There's nothing within a human that hasn't been corrupted by sin. What do you think about that? Is that possible? Do you think oh, there's no way that every part of me has been corrupted by sin? But that's what the Bible teaches, that we all fall short of the glory of God, that every part of us, if we're left on our own, we are corrupted by sin, by the fall. We sometimes want to pat ourselves on the back and say, well, it's not that bad, man. It's not that bad. I mean, I, I know I'm not the best person in the world. I, I I know that I'm not Mr. America, you know, but I'm okay. I'm not that bad. Well, again, we got to understand that that's what the Bible teaches. That's what God's word teaches. Uh, um, sin has affected every area of our being, every area. But if... If you, if we know that, how do we, how do we guard against that? What do we do about that? Well, sin has affected every area of our being, including who we are and what we do. It has penetrated the very core of our soul. Everything has been tainted by sin. And and I. And know that I'm, it seems like I'm drilling down on this, that I'm drilling down on this, but it's scripture that drills down on this. It it is God's word that drills down on this. It is basically drilling down on this so we will know that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We have been tainted. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags according to scripture, Isaiah, according to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Total depravity, he acknowledges that the the Bible teaches that sin, that be sin because that the Bible acknowledges and teaches that we sin because we're sinners. We sin because we're sinners. And not vice versa. Does that make sense? We're not, we sin because we're sinners, not we're sinners because we sin. We are, it's embedded in us to diso- disobey God, to sin against God. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse nine tells us that the, the, a human, a person, a man is deceitful and, and depraved, deceitful and desperately wicked. Who could know him? Who could know her? All we have to do is look around in our society to know that's true. All we have to do is look around at the things that are going on in our world today, and it's true. All the things that we see in our world today that are happening, that's happened, whether it's war, whether it's violence in our neighborhood, whether it's political violence, whatever it's whatever it is, those are symptoms, symptoms. Of the bigger problem and the bigger problem is sin. The biggest problem is sin, wickedness, and sin. Even the Uvalde shooting that's a symptom of the bigger problem. The bigger problem without being sin, and that's what we're reading in our passage way back in Genesis chapter 6, way in the Old Testament. It's talking about even today what's going on today. Our text in our text, total depravity is worse than we can imagine, okay? We think today's bad, and it is, today's is bad, but in our text, it's even worse than that. It, 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 why is it worse? Because God is about to do away with the world. He's about to do away with the planet, the, the humanity. He's gonna kill animals. He, he's gonna kill creation. That's how we know that our passage is bad. Yeah, many of us, many of us Christians, studied Christians, have always wondered, like, why would, like, why does God do that? Like, why does God decide to recreate humanity, so to speak? Well, he doesn't recreate it. God does not start again. I mean, he doesn't create a different humanity. So we know that. But the question is, why doesn't he? I mean, it's so bad. Why doesn't he just redo everything? Well, the, the answer to that is because even before he created the universe, God knew how he was going to save us. God knew not just how he was gonna save us, God knew who he was gonna save. So that, that brings our, our, our lineage back all the way to Adam. So he doesn't destroy all of humanity. He gives grace to a chosen few. So as we look at our passages we see we we see that it's worse than we've ever could we could ever imagine and we know this because we're told in our passages that that it is so bad that it is frustrates it is uh, God is frustrated the Lord is frustrated and he regrets he regrets in verse 5 even creating humanity creating it creating uh creating the universe in verse 5 of our text, we are told that the Lord sees that, that the wickedness of man was so great in the earth and that every intention of the thought and heart was only evil all the time. Like, imagine that. Imagine that. For a minute. God knows us. He knows our minds. He knows our hearts. And he's saying... He's saying, Kali, every single thought in every single human is evil. Continuously, non-stop. every thought, every thought is evil. Continuously, not ending, not stopping. Now, so, so the question then next is, and, and the passage answers it, okay? But the next question is, why is, so, why is it so evil? Why are things so bad? Why have things come to this point? Well, the answer to the question is in our passage. But to better understand our passage, I'm I'm gonna give you a quick summary of how we get to our passage, okay? A quick summary of how we get to our passage. Remember, it all started with Adam and Eve. They disobeyed God, they fell from grace, and the universe collapsed. That means the universe means that animals, everything collapsed because of sin okay so uh, um even when adam and eve fell uh in, in in genesis chapter 3 we still see an element of grace okay that that is referred to as the proto evangelium the proto means the pre-gospel because god tells this to satan he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's very important to what's happening next. Well, we need to remember that when he tells Satan. Uh, I was talking to, to Sandy the other day about how, you know, when when God curses the serpent, well, we were talking about several things about this passage and, and just we were just kind of things were just kind of popping in our head about could Adam and Eve see spirits? Could Adam and Eve see angels? Well, there's no indication that they could or could not. But then begs the question, why did Satan have to disguise himself and come and come and, and infiltrate a, a living creature, a serpent? And one of the interesting things about the serpent is, remember, God created all of humanity. He created all the creatures good and beautiful. So that serpent, even though he was the craftiest among God's creation, but he was a beautiful creature. You Can you imagine when God curses the serpent, this creature, this serpent, who's probably standing on two feet, when he curses the serpent, when God curses the serpent, that serpent dwindles down into a what we know as a snake eating the dust of the earth what kind of effect that would have had on adam and eve when they saw that going on we need to understand it we need to put that in our mind because we're talking about the supernatural we're talking about amazing we're talking about god and we're talking about god's decree and when God curses the serpent because he allowed himself to be used by Satan, that serpent turns from whatever good and beautiful creature he may have been into a snake that crawls on the ground right before the eyes of Adam and Eve. Can you imagine what they were thinking? Knowing they too had sinned against God. But, and so God curses the serpent, he curses Satan, and he tells them again, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Next, what happens? Well, Adam and Eve are booted out of the garden and uh, eventually they, they bear a son. Who was the son, the first son that, that they bore? Cain. Cain, they bore Cain, and then they bore another son. Abel. What happens there? Cain murders his brother, Abel. Cain murders his brother, Abel. So what does God do? God curses Cain and his line, lineage, bloodline. So what happens next? Adam and Eve bear another son. Who is that son? Seth. Seth. Hey, talk about theology, I'm bringing it now, I'm bringing it. Stay with me, okay? Don't get lost in this because it has a bearing on what's happening. They have another son named Seth. They at first think he's the one that's going to smash the serpent's head, but as it turns out, he was not the one, but he he is now in the lineage of the godly men of Adam and Seth and his bloodline. Seth's bloodline is believed to be the godly bloodline now. Stay with me. Now, this brings us to our passage today. Today, we are told that humanity, be, what did they do? They started going out and they started multiplying. Be fruitful and multiply. started multiplying on the face of the earth. And the daughters of men began to bear children. They, they began to bear children. Now, here's where the confusion is for some, and the supreme wickedness begins its climax to to, to the total destruction of the world. In verse 2, we're told that the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. The sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. The sons of men took as their wives any one one of the women that they chose to take. In in this verse and verse 4 this is where it speaks of the uh, of the that The, the Naphilim are a very unusual breed of people. The Naphilim are the key to why God brings judgment, the judgment of the flood to the destruction of the world. Okay? So the question is from here is, is the question is at hand that we have to answer when we try to figure the when we try to break this passage down and try to figure it out. Who are the sons of God who intermarried with the daughters of men to produce the Nephilim? These unusual giants, unusual breed, unusual. They're not. They weren't the norm. Okay, so now here's where we get into the interpretation. There are a couple of interpretations that have withstood the test of time, and that that theologians, biblical, biblical theologians from the Old and New Testament throughout the ages have looked at, and these are the primary two. We'll start with the, with the first view. The first view says that the that the sons of God are the are the line of Seth are the men in the line of Seth. They're they're the godly line, so to speak. And the daughters of men, and and what 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 it's telling us is the ungodly line, those that belong to the line of Cain, those are the ungodly. What it's telling us is that the ungodly line of Cain started intermarrying the believers, the godly line of Seth. They intermarried each other. producing wickedness, producing disgusting God, so to speak. So they started tainting each other. There, The godly line taint, uh, was tainted by the ungodly line. Are you with me so far? That pretty much has been the traditional view. But there's some linguistic problems with that view. And other theologians have, even back when it started have, have interpreted a very different way they interpreted the way it's read the way it flows okay and that that that's basically the second view because in this view when you when you read the passage it says it says the sons sons of god the hebrew phrase used there is the Ben A Elohim. Ben A Elohim. That, that's what it means. That the, if you translate the son in our passage, the, if you translate the sons of God, it, it is translated to Hebrew with Ben Elohim. Ben Ha Elohim. That is only used in one other place in the entire Bible, and that's in the book of Job. And in, in the book of Job, it is referring to the angelic beings. It is referring to angels, only angels. It is also used and referred to in three passages in the New Testament. It is referred to in three passages in the New Testament. Uh, and, and each of those passages in the New Testament it is referring to Ben uh, Elohim as angels as well. In fact, in the New Testament, uh, in in, uh, 1st and 2nd Peter, and in Jude, it refers to the Noah, the Noah passage that we're on, the flood passage, it's referring to that. And it's referring to those sons of God as being angels, demonic angels demons so again now we have the second view the sons of god are angels demonic angels who are having sex who are intermarrying human women now stay with me because there, there are questions that you have that i have too that when we start looking at that interpretation under this interpretation these sons of god these angelic beings Are fallen angels and fallen angels are demons they're demons and these demons are intermarrying and breeding with women human women that is the interpretation of the Jewish scholars who who originally interpreted this passage that is also the interpretation that's found in the Septuagint which was quoted all the time by Jesus and others in the New Testament, the Septuagint is the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. Remember when, uh, when the Hebrews went out, they were spread throughout the world, okay? And, and after time went on and they were spread in the land of, of the Roman land and everywhere else, they, they did, they lost, they, they they quit speaking Hebrew and spoke Greek. Or what other language that land, wherever they were at, were speaking mainly, and one of them was Greek, okay? So they didn't understand what their their own Bible was talking about because it was written in Hebrew or Aramaic. So what happened? A group of rabbis got together, godly man, 70, got together and wrote out the Old Testament, what we refer to as the Old Testament, and they wrote it in Greek so their people could read it that are spread out throughout the world. That is the Septuagint. In the Septuagint, the Septuagint translates sons of God as demonic angels, demons as well. So now we have several sources that are looking in the Bible that are looking at this passage, this flood passage, and saying that the sons of God are demonic angels. And those were the people that were closer to it. Those are the people that were reading it. And those are people that were translating it even before when this all came out. So what is, okay, so, okay, let's keep going with this, with this view. We have demons intermarrying human women. This causes God to do what? It causes the Lord to say, My spirit shall not abide in men forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be numbered 120 years. We we ask the question, like, things are bad today. Bad. And and so, yeah, the the, the question we just asked a few minutes ago, how bad do things have to be for God to destroy the world? Well, we just got an example. We're having demon-possessed Children now. We're having demon-possessed children being born. Now, think of what's... Uh, 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 and that also answers another question. This second view answers a big question. Where is Satan in all this? What happened to Satan? He's right there. Okay, what has Satan done? He's infiltrated the mind of Cain to kill his brother, and Cain goes and kills his brother, so he's got Cain. Then, in the bloodline of Seth, supposed to be the godly bloodline, he has the demons intermarrying human women to produce demon-possessed humans. Guys, this is supernatural, okay? We're not used to talking like this, but that's what's there. So, so now we have, okay, where is Satan and all this? Well, he's corrupted at Cain and now he has corrupted the line of Seth. Cor- totally corrupted. So those two are all corrupted. And then the question remains how could a Messiah, how could God's Messiah be born to a demon possessed woman if the line continues? That's the question. And that's what God would say that. That's what God would say. My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be numbered. So God, what does God do? He brings judgment. He brings judgment upon humanity. And he tells us, he says, that his days are numbered. It's gonna be, I number the days of humanity to a hundred and twenty. Years. That's not how old humans become or how old human can be. That's how many years God has given them before He's going to destroy the world with the flood, except for a few. That's how long it took uh, Noah to build the ark. Now things are starting to kind of, pieces are starting to fit together. But the problem that somebody like me would have is, is how is it possible? How is it possible for a demon, a spirit, to have relations with a, with a human? How is that possible? Well, the, the, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, there's, God curses any woman who has any, anything to do with the occult, okay, with, with talking to demons or whatever. They're cursed. In fact, they're cursed with death if they have anything to do with the occult. But there's more. There's there's more about, throughout Old Testament Scripture, there are many times when when spirits take on the form of humans. Many times. It's not unusual. It happens in many places. where, Where spirits take on the form of humans. And then we see that in in Genesis chapter 19, later on, you remember the story of Locke? Remember the story of Locke? He goes into, where does he go? To Sodom, okay? He goes into Sodom and he he has a business or whatever he's doing over there. Nonsense, but he's over there. So what does God do? God wants to destroy Sodom because they're evil and they're having sex and there's just terrible things going on. He's going to destroy this city. So God, so God sends angels, angels, we're told, they're angelic beings that go to the city of Sodom. And who sees them there? Locke. Locke what, what does Locke do? Locke invites them into their home. And he feeds them. He for them. He knows that they're angels. And what happens? Remember what happens? The men of Sodom go banging on the door of Locke's household, and they demand that Locke bring out those angels who look like men, so they can have sex with them. Remember chapter 19, Genesis. Now what has always confused me about that is that Locke goes out to talk to those evil men. And you know, remember what he does? So they won't touch those men. Remember what, he, what Locke does? He offers his virgin daughters to those men so they won't commit this heinous sin and touch those angelic beings. It never made sense to me why Locke would do that. Never. Until now. Until now. So there you have it. Is it possible? Anything's possible. Is it possible for angelic beings to have had relations with women and produced these Nephilim, these giants? That's what it's telling us. Now, we also know in the New Testament that demons... Oh, by the way, when, when God curses man and destroys humanity, except for a few in the flood, he casts those demonic, the demons into the pit until final judgment. Not all of them, we don't know how many, but we know that many of them are cast into a pit, a pit of fire, until final judgment. Okay, so now, we also know in the New Testament that demons crave humans, they crave to possess humans. And we see all types of demon possession in the New Testament. We know this because Jesus is constantly exercising demons out of people. And when, when a, a theologian by the name of uh, Derek Kidner wrote, the, crave, the craving of demons for the body for the body, human body, evident, is evident in the Gospels, uh, offered at least some parallel, to, the, to this hunger of sexual experience. Uh, for whatever reason, these demonic forces have a hunger for humans. Okay. Again, we answer the question as to where Satan is, and we now know he was right there in the middle of this, causing things to collapse, causing the bloodline to, on both sides to, to be corrupted. Satan is aware of what God said. So he tries to corrupt everything. And now, now when, and, now, and, and he does this in an effort to corrupt any Messiah, any seed of the woman who could finally destroy him. But what does God do? Well, in verse seven, it tells us, he says, I will blot out man. I will blot out men who I created from the uh, from the face of the earth, and man and animal and creeping things and birds of the heaven. For I am sorry that I made them. That's what God's decree is. That's His judgment. How wicked can uh, does the world have to be before God brings total destruction like that? Pretty pretty corrupt, and it, and it's corrupted by demonic forces. So that brings us to the benevolence of God. Let's, let's talk about the benevolence of God real fast. The, the, the benevolence of God. Now, what I just went into two, two major views of this passage. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, what does it matter, Manny? Hey, okay, it's very interesting. But what does it matter to me today? Well, truth matters. Truth matters. Knowing and being able to interpret God's word matters. To interpret it correctly matters. It matters because it shows us, it reveals to us the benevolence, the, the, the mercy of God, the love of God. Even those who he destroyed with the flood, he does it because he cares and loves them. So he brings perfect justice upon them and destroys them. But even in all this, we're able to see what verse, what verse 8 tells us, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Even in, in the midst of total destruction, God has mercy. God has mercy. It, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I want you to know that that word, the Hebrew word for favor, pen, is translated or can also be translated as grace. God gives grace to Noah and the seven. And he doesn't destroy them. They survive. And this is where the ark comes in and and the story goes on. In in the brevity of verse eight, it, it is extremely telling because God has just pronounced destruction on the planet. And the brevity of, of, a it shows us the character of God that he, get, he is perfect in his judgment. And he is a merciful God who gives grace to his chosen kingdom people. So, okay, what do you need to hear when you look at this, when you read a story like this? What do you need to hear when you see this passage? Well, you need to know, you need to hear that God is a loving God. He's loving, he's kind, and he's bestowed perfect justice on those who needed it, and he's also given grace on those he chose to give grace to. Even those who were corrupt. Because remember, everybody was corrupt. There was nothing in you that God saw that he chose to give grace to you because he saw something good in you. He thought there was nothing good. Remember, total depravity. So God has blessed us, those who belong to him, those who have declared Christ as their Savior and Lord, God has blessed them with grace, kingdom grace, for eternal salvation. The other day, uh, what, was it yesterday? Somebody won the mega billion, mega billion, mega, mega million, mega billion. Somebody in Chicago won it. How many tickets did you spend? How many hundreds of dollars? No, I'm just playing. Some person in Chicago won $1.29 billion. Now, most of us, well, we bought our lotto ticket. I didn't, but if you did, that's okay. You're probably thinking, well, if I, if I win this, I'm probably going to go ahead and take all the money right now. And, you know, that's $720 million or something like that. Just we just think it out loud, I'm going to, I'm going to tie St. Stephen's Chapel will have a castle or something. You know, we, that's how our imaginations work. Okay? The, the world runs on money. And to, to have unlimited resources of money can change, certainly can, can impact your life. It can't save your soul, but it can impact your life. But it is interesting that we are bound to a kingdom. Where money has no bearing because you own the kingdom. You are an heir to this kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's just hard for us to comprehend that. When we live in a society that's so broken and when money means so much, when money can answer so many questions and can solve so many problems, it's hard for us to comprehend that. But we need to know that. We need to know when we read passages like this, that God is real. Demons are real. You know, spirits are real. And salvation, salvation is real. It is not pretend. So that's what, so when you get the invite of coming to Christ, it is real. It's a true invite that you're feeling in your heart to come to him, to submit to him, to give your lives to him. Because because of his glory. We, we've gone through a passage that is very difficult to understand. Very difficult for us to translate. And it is hard on our souls to try to comprehend what it really means. But you've got to understand that you are not up against f- flesh and blood. You're up against spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. Evil forces in the heavenly realm. And the only way to overcome is through Jesus Christ our Lord. You've been listening to Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching his word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.